It's a taking a very uh, longer-term approach around identify good people that are passionate and committed that we can hire and onboard and have a training program to, to upskill them over a period of 12, 18, 24 months and give them that career development pathway. Um, looking forward to hearing from Matt. Uh, we've done a couple of articles together, I think, over the last couple of years for uh, Fincia. Um, and it's always good to, to hear from him and uh, Kaiser. So, Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, employment landscape at the moment? Um, as we've said, despite the economic challenges of COVID-19, finance seems to be one of the healthy sectors. So maybe you can go into a little bit more detail about the roles that we are seeing that are really healthy and, and tell us why. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. Great question. We've been surveying the market since this pandemic started in March uh, last year and we've been regularly gaining insights in terms of what's happening. And I'd just like to say from the outset, it's a privilege to work within this sector that was deemed an essential service when parts of the Australian economy went into lockdown. So what we saw in March, April last year was organisations had to adapt to this new reality, working from home, modifying this business models. And so for a period for eight weeks, there was literally no recruitment. But as these organisations adapted and had to respond to that challenge of digital interviewing, remote onboarding, there was this backlog of recruitment that just seized up, which is now and has been flowing uh, into the, the financial services and employment sector for some time, like October, December last year was almost back to boom periods where so many organisations had this pent-up recruitment needs, projects that were delayed. But we've seen other areas like risk and compliance has been in huge demand. Cybersecurity, ESG and responsible investment is in a huge demand. And that demand in a lot of areas is exceeding supply. And there's also a genuine and real supply side issue that we're seeing, again, through COVID, we've seen close to 700,000 Foreigners on certain work visas in Australia leave the country, unfortunately. That is now causing some genuine and real challenges in terms of finding talent in the Australian financial services sector. I think that probably segues a little bit into the question I was going to ask and, and, and what him, impact the pandemic has had on talent mobility. Given the border closures, we're hearing about fintechs and those in cybersecurity struggling to get the technical expertise they need. You know, what, what's that meant for the industry and upskilling or problems for businesses? What's your take on that? Well, it's great. If you've got a skill set and that skill set's in demand, you're seeing multiple opportunities coming your way. I mean, we're having to headhunt people from out of, out of organisations in the days of just putting the ad online and expecting to see talent. We're hearing that consistently across the market. We've heard Perhaps there's now two job opportunities, every person working in IT at the moment. With that challenge as an opportunity, and what we've seen some of our clients now really embrace this, well, why look for the best person just in Sydney CBD or Melbourne CBD? Why don't you look Australia-wide? What about the opportunity of potentially hiring someone in the UK or the US that can work remotely? So businesses are going to have to get creative around this. Mobility is an interesting one. I think this really creates opportunities to work from anywhere, but it really depends on how much organizations have embraced remote working. We've seen some really adopt that into their business. We've seen others phase back to, to wanting to work uh, purely in an office environment, and we're seeing now candidates deselect 
on those opportunities that don't provide flexible work arrangements. So it's intriguing, but I think this challenge is going to be with us for the rest of this year and definitely into 2022 around skill shortages until we adapt to this reality of living with COVID and we can get foreigners back into the Australian economy. It's really a challenging circumstance at the moment. But again, a good problem if you're a candidate with a skill set that's in demand. Yeah. Um, I think you've um, probably covered the question that we have, and there's an echo. I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it again. <laughs> to, to go more into um, talent mobility, you're, you're Melbourne-based, but, but now that the borders are opening, uh, you know, and, and there are, there's a scarcity of jobs, mainly coming into the country, but as you've just said, it's you know people are able to look abroad. Um, is is there much you know that physical mobility within Australia that uh, you're having to deal with? Oh look, absolutely. We are seeing good candidates wanting to move uh, interstate for the right opportunities still, and I think onboarding can alleviate some of those concerns. And some of these concerns would have been pre-COVID. You're in Brisbane. Are you generally committed to relocating to Melbourne or Sydney, for example, or Adelaide or, or wherever, Perth, same scenario? So we're saying, well, look, that's not an issue anymore. We can onboard you in your home state, perhaps with a view of coming in, you know, w- once every quarter, once every month, with maybe the view to, to relocate permanently. But I, I think it's, it's provided more of an opportunity for, for organisations to identify talent anywhere as opposed to just in the local market. When you talk about career mobility, though, I think that's an interesting one. Why limit yourself as well to just potentially looking for work in your home state or home city? Having said that, though, we are we do work nationally, Lewis, and we're working for a fund that's based in South Australia at the moment that has specifically engaged us to look for talent on the east coast of Australia because they've concluded that the talent pools for people that they need in South Australia just aren't there. So that's also been a really interesting challenge around how you convince people to relocate for certain opportunities. I think historically Australians haven't been that, haven't really embraced that, but potentially now it's more of an opportunity. Just follow, what about the, the, the lack of technical skills? Or, the, or We've talked about skills and the need to carry on training when we've spoken in the past. Are you seeing businesses give opportunities to uh, educate and upskill as well as take these people on? Because clearly if you're in a having to headhunt situation, you know, people can pick and choose. So they, you know, will take not just the best remuneration package, but also lots of benefits go with it. Yeah, great question. And uh, yeah, certainly a challenge in some organisations that have been a little bit more innovative and progressive and forward thinking than others. For example, we've worked with a number of clients this year that are planning larger assessment centres to identify talent. And when I say talent, these might be people coming out of big four type backgrounds or to smart, hardworking that want to transition into investment roles with a fund just because, again, they're not seeing the talent at the right price point in the market. So taking a very uh, longer term approach around identify good people that are passionate and committed that we can hire and onboard and have a training program to, to upskill them over a period of 12, 18, 24 months and give them that career development um, pathway. So typically, there'll be in organizations of medium to larger sizes, you know, normally 100 plus people in an organization that may look at some sort of program like that. But it's going to need to happen because, again, you're spot on. There's just, there is a war for talent for certain skill sets at the moment. 
and you may make that decision. Do we pay 20, 30% above market to get this person on or do we hire a more junior candidate and then spend some time training and development? Because that boils down, what do you want to buy? What do you want to hire for? And what are you prepared to train and invest in? So it's, it's a conversation that's happening regionally across many of our clients at the moment. Which I think, uh, you know, goes to the uh, point of the next question I was going to make. You know, if you're embarking on a career in financial services now, how confident would you be feeling? You know, is it, is it something, clearly from what we've been saying, I would, I would probably think I could answer the question, but uh, I'd rather you tell me you're, you are the one with the expertise. Is it, where where is, is it a good long-term investment? Oh, look. Absolutely, I think so. The, the industry has been, I mean, we've done a lot of analysis on this financial services as a portion of the broader economy as well as the state economy down here in Victoria is around, you know, 8%, 9%, So it's a big, big part of the economy. Obviously, we've still got all the major banks that are going through changes, but they're also growing. Lending's booming at the moment. You know, the, the industry super funds that, that are hitting some unique scale and size, but also consolidating as well. There's, there's a plethora of opportunities. And I remember, I'm not trying to give Fincia a plug here, but I remember I attended a Fincia event over a decade ago where I'm showing my vintage. And there was a senior manager there, I think he was working at BlackRock at the time, and he made this comment that from his 15 years in the industry, jobs that he was working in now or his peers were didn't exist 10 years ago. And so we're seeing new roles created and we're seeing new opportunities, you know, investment data, for example, and the evolution of candidates that we're seeing, I mean, 10 years ago when I used to recruit investment analysts, the skills that they had 10 years, years ago versus the skills that the next generation are coming through with the ability to code quantitative analytics skill, it's, it's fascinating. So competition is definitely still there, but I'd say there's more opportunities than there ever has been. And what's really exciting is for a lot of organizations, they also have structured career development pathways in a lot of these firms. So retention and development is a key theme that a lot of these organizations really are trying to work hard on. And there's also a lot of graduate recruitment happening in a lot of these larger organizations as well that will give you a great runway to build your career. But I just conclude that you know, where you start is not where you finish in the early stages of your career. You, know, you probably want to be looking at changing organizations every 18 to 24 months. Some clients hate it when I say that. Other clients just know it's a, it's a fact of life that if you can't get the development you need after a period of time, you want to be seeking new opportunities out where and keep up skilling, especially at that embryonic stage of your career. So in conclusion, buoyant, plethora of opportunities at the moment. It really depends on what you want to do and where you want to go. It's, um, yeah, that's a fascinating takeout, Matt. Really interesting. I, I, there's nothing I could add to, on, on that conclusion. I think. Thank you very much. I think.